Welcome to the Exam Room Rambles podcast, where veterinarian Dr. Tracy Westergaard shares the same tips, opinions, and explanations she gives you in the exam room, only without barking dogs or hissing cats. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Tracy, and I am here to talk about dog spaying. In our last episode, we talked about dog neutering, and I apologize. I'm not sure if I'm like rocking to and from the microphone or if I've messed up something with the editing software, but I wasn't real happy with the sound quality on that one, and I hope this one is better. So dog spays are a little more serious surgery than a neuter. Obviously, this is a regular abdominal surgery, meaning we are opening up the abdomen and swimming through all the intestines to get down to the ovaries and the uterus. And there's a lot higher rate of complications, both in surgery and postoperatively. Now, there's also a huge variation in spays because we can spay little tiny five-pound Yorkies and we can spay 120-pound Big Labs, Great Danes. The other thing that can make a really big difference with dog space is the age of the dog and whether or not they've had puppies, and then how much body fat they are carrying. So just to give you an example, if we do a six-month-old poodle Cocker Spaniel Cross that weighs about 10 pounds. It's a pretty simple surgery. They're not carrying a lot of body fat. We can literally be in and out of there in 20 minutes and it's straightforward. Fast forward to an 90 pound obese eight year old yellow lab, and that may take two veterinarians and an hour to spay. So essentially the same procedure, but a huge variation in technical difficulty as far as a surgical procedure. So I'd like to start back at the beginning. So the first thing is you're going to have to call and make an appointment for this. Now this is a procedure that we do four or five days a week. All the different veterinarians we have at the Marshall Animal Clinic take their turn during surgeries on different days, but we are all very qualified to do spays and we all do an excellent job. So it doesn't really matter which doctor does your spay. We do recommend that you call ahead a couple weeks before you want your dog spayed because we do book out a week or two in advance for these procedures. Now, people always ask, do I need to take the day off work when my dog's being spayed? And I would say, no, you don't need to take the day off work. And honestly, you don't need to take the day after or the day after. But just know that if you are the type of person who wants to, it'd be much smarter for you to take the day after surgery off, not the day of surgery. The other thing people always ask is they want to have it done on a Friday so they can be home with their dog on the weekend. And we actually don't normally do surgeries on Friday unless we're really booking out in advance. And that's because the weekend, there is no one at the clinic all day on on Saturday and Sunday. So if there is complications with the incision or your dog has some issues with nausea or complications from the medications we use we want to be there. And and we're not always there on the weekends. We're always available for you. Emergencies, 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, holidays, whatnot. But um, we'd much rather see you during regular business hours. So actually, it's great to schedule your surgery at the beginning of the week, not the end of the week. The technician or the receptionist will go over all these things with you as far as what to do the night before surgery and how to check in, but I'm just going to touch on them again. And this is be sure to take food away the night before surgery. We would like your pet to have an empty stomach going into anesthesia so that they don't 
regurgitate or vomit when they are sedated or in surgery because that would risk aspiration, which can lead to pneumonia and all sorts of problems. They do that in people too. Anyone that's been in any kind of surgery, you know, you have to fast before surgery. At the Marshall Animal Clinic, we're going to ask you to bring your pet in first thing in the morning. We'll give you a specific time. And that doesn't mean that the surgery is going to be done first thing in the morning. It will be done in the morning. But we like the pets there early because we like to observe them in their kennel, kind of get a feel for their personality. That lets us know a little bit how they're going to handle things post-op and if they're going to be more likely to be harder to control <laughs> um, after their surgery and if they're going to be liquors. And in that time, we also do their pre-op blood work. There are several stages to getting your dog under anesthesia too, and that takes some time. Honestly, the amount of prep that goes into the procedure usually takes longer than the actual procedure itself. So we include pre-op blood work in the price of all of our surgeries. Now, if you're in a situation where you're really struggling economically and you want to um, reduce this, the price of your spay, though we discourage it, we can be flexible with blood work and you can opt out of that. Now, the reason we want blood work is because we want to know that your pet's liver and kidney and their internal organs are all functioning good to metabolize these medications that we use. We also like to see a CBC, which is a complete blood count, that tells us if they have any signs of infection, and it also tells us if they have enough red cells to have good oxygen-carrying capacity to all of their tissues. So it's really important to us. Just know that we can discuss those things if you are on a budget. So most dogs allow us to do blood draws prior to their procedure without any kind of sedation. These dogs that have been coming to the clinic for their new puppy exams or for other issues, they usually become acquainted with us. And dogs don't have like the crazy fear of needles that so many people do. Now don't get me wrong, there's dogs out there that don't like needles, but most of the time it goes really smooth. This is a blood draw that the technicians and the doctors do together. And it usually takes two, sometimes three people. And once we get that blood, we go ahead and start the blood work. Now, if we have a dog that is especially scared, potentially aggressive, or very wiggly, which is often the case on some little excited happy dogs, we will give them their pre-anesthetic prior to their pre-op blood work. So that is basically a sedation. And we use a combination of drugs. Um, most commonly, we use an alpha-2 agonist with a barbiturate, which would be dextomator and torbogesic butorphanol, I guess is the technical name of the drug. And we like that, though we have other drugs, drugs at our disposal that we use in different circumstances, but that's kind of our, our favorite. That's also what we use when we're going to do laceration repairs, or we need to sedate a dog for x-rays, or, or some dogs we have to sedate them to trim their toenails. And it's a very, very safe drug. And like so many things, how much you give is how much you get. So if we just need a little sedation, we just give a little. If we need them schnockered, we give them more. But sometimes that allows us to, to get a blood draw easier in a less stressful situation. That drug starts working, the pre-anesthetic starts working in about 15 minutes, and it lasts for a couple hours. So that gives us some flexibility also. Once your pet is pretty sleepy from the pre-anesthetic and we know that the blood work is good, we go ahead and induce anesthesia. Oh, I forgot one thing. I need to go back. <laughs> Before we give the pre-anesthetic, we give them a dose of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, basically a pain med and an anti-inflammatory. So that's going to be in their system when they wake up. 
We normally give that orally, but sometimes we have to give an injection depending on if your dog is easy to medicate or not. Okay, back to inducing anesthesia. At this point, we bring your sleepy dog into our surgery room. And they're not asleep enough to do surgery on, but they're asleep enough that we can put in an IV catheter if we need to without stress. And we give them a second dose of medication called propofol. You've probably heard propofol talked about in the news because that's what they use to induce comas in these COVID patients. And it's also um, what Michael Jackson overdosed on. And it causes about 15 minutes of a surgical plane of anesthesia. So that's not long enough to keep them under anesthesia to do the whole procedure, but it's enough for us to get them intubated and have them breathing gas anesthesia. So we actually put a tube in their trachea, a trach tube, and hook them up to oxygen and gas anesthesia. That is also adjustable. Sometimes we have to run that gas a little stronger, and sometimes we run the gas a little bit lighter. And there's so many factors that figure in that, and it's something that, you know, there's definitely guidelines, but we've learned over the years of doing, you know, hundreds of surgeries, how to, to fine-tune that anesthesia perfect to your pet. Once we have them completely asleep, we're going to put them on their back and secure them to the table. We do that with little ropes around their legs. It's not to keep them from moving during surgery because they are totally asleep, but it's to keep them basically from falling to the side if we bump them in surgery with our hands while we're actually doing the surgery. So one technician is, is doing that and then goes on to hook up all of the anesthetic monitors. We have an anesthetic monitor machine in addition to like using our own eyes and ears to, to monitor anesthesia. We use an EKG to do heart rate and heart rhythm, a pulse ox for oxygen saturation, blood pressure cuff to measure blood pressure, an esophageal thermometer for body temperature, and respirations we monitor by watching the bag move and watching the chest move up and down. And then things like the patient's color, their tongue color, their capillary refill time, those are all things that we do manually. So while one technician is doing that, another technician or the veterinarian will start clipping for surgery. We have to clip the hair away and we have to clip a big enough site than what we're actually doing surgery on because if there's a problem and we all of a sudden need to make our incision bigger, we want to be ready for that. Once we have our surgical site well clipped, the next step is, of course, to scrub, and that's super important. We use chlorhexidine, and we work on contact time. So it's not how hard you scrub, it's actually how long you scrub, and we alternate between chlorhexidine and al alcohol. And the technician is doing that while the doctor is scrubbing their own hands with essentially the same stuff. We got to be super duper clean. Now, obviously, we're using sterile gloves, we're using sterile instruments that have run through the autocrate clave. We, we take sterility very, very seriously. So now we're actually ready to get down to business. We go ahead and sterilely drape the dog, leaving a little hole in our drape where we're going to make our incision. And that's from just below the belly button to halfway or so down towards the, the pubis bone. And we make a incision through the skin. We can use either a surgical blade, so actual steel, or we use a laser cutting. I usually use a laser cutting. I think the other doctors do too. And that cuts through the skin. And then there's usually a layer of fat. So we cut through the layer of fat. And then we're very careful to get the exact middle of 
the belly wall. And the reason is that is tendon only. There's no muscle if you stay exactly in the middle. There's less bleeding and less pain, less complications if we don't actually have to cut through the muscle, if we cut through this tendon. And that tendon is called the rectus abdominis, and it's so very strong. So we make our incision, and this incision, incision can be anywhere from one inches to like six or seven inches, depending on how big the dog is. So um, that varies. But once we get into the abdomen, you don't just see the uterus and see the ovaries. The ovaries are suspended from the back. So, and we have the dog laying on the back. So we actually have to kind of scurry down there to identify that. Now there's a special instrument called a spay hook and it's basically like a long skinny J. And we know where to aim that instrument, but we actually put it in through our incision and we usually grab one of the uterine horns. Now the uterus is a Y-shaped organ and very long Ys in a dog because dogs have puppies. They have litters. They have multiples, whereas a person doesn't have big, long uterine horns because there's just one kid or two cooking in there. So we usually grab a hold of um, one of the uterine horns and bring that up to the top of our incision where we can see it. And once we have it, we follow it down to the ovary. Now the ovary and dogs and cats are, are actually really small. Again, probably about the size of my fingernail when a dog is not in heat, but we're able to grab that. And then there's an, a ligament that attaches it to the body wall and we gently break down that ligament. Now there are huge blood vessels going to the ovary. Obviously that needs a ton of blood supply for that eggs to develop and to create a new life. So it's very important that we exteriorize that, bring that up to our incision, and then we clamp it off and use an absorbable suture to tie it two times. <laughs> we always tie everything double just to be safe, just to be extra cautious. Then of course we cut the attachment and bring it out of the abdomen. Then we move to the other side and do the same thing. Now this uterus is still attached to the body via the cervix. So once we have broken down all of the suspensory ligaments that hold the uterus into the body, we lay it out and then we clamp and sew the uterus wall just in front of the cervix. So we don't actually take the cervix out. And that usually requires multiple sutures. Again, we're using the same dissolvable sutures. We're going to tie off the blood vessels and then we're going to actually tie off the stump. Again, we do everything two times just to make sure. After that, we remove the entire uterus with the ovaries, and then we examine the abdomen real quick just to make sure nothing's bleeding, just to make sure nothing is unusual. Now, we're low enough in the abdomen that we can't get a good look at the stomach and the liver, but we can kind of see the intestines, and sometimes we can see a little spleen and bladder, and we just peek to make sure everything looks okay. When everything looks good, we know we can go ahead and suture up the body wall. Now, this is super important. It's one of the most important parts of the, the procedure is that we get that body wall closed very securely. And we do that with a very strong absorbable suture. And we use different sutures based on the size of the dog and their energy level. Now, we normally close that body wall with three layers. We do that tendon I was talking about, we do that subcutaneous fat, and we do the skin. Different veterinarians will close the skin in different ways. Sometimes the sutures are in an X fashion, sometimes they're straight across, and some of them even do subcuticulars where it's stitches that are all under the skin. 
Now at Marshall Animal Clinic, we do scan and even though we wouldn't have to, but one of the reasons is we want to see your dog back. We want to see you bring your pet back so we can remove those stitches so we can see the incision and be completely sure that everything is healed. There are vet clinics that you don't need to come back for stitches to remove, and we just don't think that's a good idea. So by this point, the technician monitoring anesthesia will have had your pet turned off of anesthesia, and it takes about 10 minutes for them to wake up. So in that 10 minutes, we usually get them situated in their kennel and wait until they can swallow good and they're blinking their eyes and can lift their head. Then we pull that trachea tube out. If they've been on IV fluids, we reduce their fluid rate and let those fluids run the rest of the day at an appropriate amount to maintain adequate hydration. The spays, because it's a major abdominal surgery and it takes a little longer, like I said, anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, depending on the size of your dog, they tend to be a little more painful post-op and they tend to be a little more like groggy and than a neuter, for example, who's not getting a full abdominal seizure, a full abdominal incision. So we watch them closely through the rest of the morning and throughout the afternoon. And when they're ready to get up and go outside and go potty, we'll do that. If they seem especially painful and are very vocal, we'll add stronger pain medicine like narcotics. Dogs are just like people. They have different pain thresholds and they have different, different experiences with surgery. So everyone is treated as an individual. At the end of the day, we do send your dog home with you instead of keeping them overnight. Now, I'm sure you've heard that some vet clinics keep spay surgeries overnight, and I'm going to explain to you why we don't. We are not staffed 24 hours a day. At the end of the day, we go home. Now, we are always available to you for emergencies. There is always a doctor on call. So if it's 10 o'clock at night or midnight and you think something is wrong with your dog after it had this major surgical procedure, you're with it. You can call us up and we can either meet you at the clinic or we can talk it over the phone. If your pet is at the clinic alone after having a procedure and no one is there at midnight, we're uncomfortable with that. So that is why we choose to send our surgical patients home versus keeping them in the hospital for a day. Other clinics are going to do other things based on their staffing. Now, just because we send them home the same day does not diminish the importance and the, the seriousness of the surgery. With spays, it's especially important to leash walk for seven days. You know, if, if their incision were to open up, their intestines could fall out, organs could fall out. It could be life-threatening. Also, those blood vessels that are going to those ovaries, if they were to be extremely active and those were to theoretically wiggle loose or come undone because the dog is so active, they could bleed internally. So leash walking is so important. Even leash walking in the house, if you've got a really young active dog that likes to bound up the stairs, you may want to put up baby gates and then walk them with a leash up and down the stairs to keep them quiet. Now, this is so hard. And honestly, this is the hardest part of these spays. It's not what we do as surgeons at the clinic. It's what you guys have to do at home to keep your pets quiet. Some of these animals like really are not in a lot of pain. And the next day, they just want to go back to playing and jumping and doing all the things 
that they want to do because they feel okay. They don't have emotions surrounding the fact that they just lost their uterus and it's more important to them to go on walks and run and jump and play. So it's really up to you as the owner to keep them quiet for the prescribed time. Now, as far as like food and water the night of surgery, water is always okay. We usually encourage people to offer a small meal or a half meal. And if they want to take it, great. If they don't want it, that's fine. If they go a day or two without eating, that's perfectly normal for a dog. Dogs are designed necessarily, aren't designed like people to eat several meals a day. If they were wild dogs, they would not be catching a rabbit three times a day to eat as a meal. So don't worry about your pet not eating the night of surgery. We do expect them to eat a regular meal the morning after. If they're vomiting, if they're having diarrhea, if they seem excessively painful that day after surgery, if the incision looks at all red or inflamed or draining, we absolutely want a phone call. You are welcome to call anytime with questions or concerns. The other nice thing is if you're unsure if the incision looks good, you can always snap a picture and email or text it to us. As far as a cone of shame or an e-collar, most spays do not need them, actually. But we still offer them and we still send them home to dogs that we feel have the temperament and the personality that they are going to be lickers. A lot of times just us observing them post-op, we can tell what kind of dog they're going to be. And if they're dogs we've seen before for their puppy shots and other exams, we get to know them. There's definitely certain types of dogs that are more likely to be lickers. When in doubt, take an e-collar home. They're only $10. And even if you don't use it, you'll have it there if you, if your dog is licking and you can't get them to stop or they're being left unsupervised. Honestly, what you can expect is the day after surgery, they're going to be a little tired. They're going to be a little less active. The second day after surgery, they're going to want to go places. They're going to want to go on their walk. By day three, you're going to be trying your dangest to keep them quiet, keep them from jumping, keep them from running they recover that fast. And it just amazes me because if this was a person, they would be out of work for several weeks. They would be told they can't lift more than 10 pounds for several weeks. And these dogs within a couple days, they're just back to their normal self. But please remember that um, they're not, <laughs> their, their body is not back to its normal self, even though their personality is. So please keep them quiet. Please try. If you have a dog that is just so challenging to keep quiet, we do have some medications like trazodone, which take the edge off and make them so they're not quite so hyper while they're recovering. And talk to us if you think that your dog is going to need something like that. Otherwise, we see them at 10 to 14 days to remove stitches. That is a quick and complimentary appointment, and it's really important to us to see that incision. I'm sure several of you are qualified to pull these stitches out yourself, and I understand your desire to do that to save a trip to the clinic. But just know that it is important for us to see your dog and make sure everything is healed well. All right, folks, that's another 23-minute podcast, and I just want you to know that you can always get a hold of us at Marshall Animal Clinic, 507-537-1537, or you can visit our website, marshallanimalclinic.com. We are on social media, Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, I also have a specific podcast, Exam Room Rambles. I don't actually know the handle, but I think that's it. So thank you much. We'll see you next week. 